Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Well, real quick, if this is the first time you've been here and you're a first time guest here at Community, we do have a gift for you. If you go out these uh, center doors here and take a right, you'll see countertops with these white gift bags. Uh, in that is a gift for you, as well as a piece of paper that you can fill out and uh, begin to let us know a little bit about you, and hopefully we can get connected more uh, with you guys. We'd like to, to get to know you and really welcome you into community here. Real quick, today is the last Sunday of the month, and we're going to be doing communion together. So as you came in, if you didn't grab an element, uh, we do have them sitting on the back tables here. So feel free to go and grab that uh, right now if you need some still. I got mine right here. If you saw me right before I walked up, I dropped it on my way up. So that was not good. Well, last night we got to have our spaghetti dinner, and it was just such a great turnout. It was great seeing everyone come out. And a huge thank you to just everyone that donated, everyone that donated their time to, to really make it come together. And to all the students that really were helping serve and get all the food out there at the tables. We just had such a great turnout. And it looked like we got a lot of donations yesterday. I don't know uh, the exact details on that yet. But we do have a lot of leftovers still. And we're going to be having those brought out in the lobby so you can still... Make donations and pick up leftovers there uh, following the service. And uh, we just want to continue to help the youth as they raise funds for their accounts. So, um, And I've heard it's also a great meal to have coming after uh, Sunday morning as well. So, We have the Awana Penny Challenge still going on, and it's going through March. Uh, they're raising support for Awana clubs in South America. So... Any Awana kids in here right now? Okay, look around, see their hands. You can ask them how you can help with the Awana Penny Challenge. Right now, they've raised $565, and their goal is 1000 So they're already a good way there, but we got to keep helping them out to get there the rest of the way. The Capital Area Pregnancy Center is holding their annual banquet on Thursday, March 7th. You'll see the slide on the screen from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Penn Harris Hotel. Uh, for more information or to RSVP for the event, you can visit their website. Um, we know that they always do a great banquet for that. The C.S. Lewis Institute is partnering with our church to host a discussion about the role of, of the Christian in politics. This event will take place on Thursday, March 14th, from 7 through 8.30 p.m., right here in the sanctuary, and it's going to have a guest speaker, Phil Thorne. So come and join us for this uh, conversation, and bring your friends along as well. Well, the ladies' spring lunch is on Saturday, April 27th, and we still are needing some hosts for the tables. So if you guys have any questions or if you're interested in doing that, reach out to Christy Knorr. Is she in here right now or is she busy? She's busy. That's a good thing, though. She's helping us out. So uh, last announcement here this morning, the church softball season is rapidly approaching. I see some, some claps over here. <laughs> 
Uh, and Randy Evans is beginning to start looking for some players. So if you're interested, uh, if you've played in the past, then you know what you're getting into. If you have any questions, Randy would be glad to answer those as well. He's in, oh, he's in the multi-purpose room right now, but you can find him here after the service. At this time, I just want to encourage everyone to please stand with me as we open in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning. God, as we look at your scripture, I've just been encouraged this morning. Just how thankful that we can be for the family that you've given us, God. We think about our church here this morning. We think about believers even outside of the church. The way that we can interact with one another and be on the same mission for you, God. It's just amazing. We thank you and praise you so much for that. And the support that we have for one another. The encouragement that we have by seeing you at work through the brothers and sisters that we have through you. We praise you so much for how you've designed that. God, we thank you and praise you for the turnout at the spaghetti dinner. God, we pray that if we did have anyone new that's not from our church, someone that might not even know you, that we represented you well to them. And would that be our goal as we set out from this morning as well? That no matter where we're at, we're living for you and that we're making you known by what we say, by what we do. And God, even with our own relationships with you, by what we think in our own hearts and minds. We thank you and praise you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. I'd like to open us up with a few words from John chapter 3, starting in verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Let's exalt the Lord together. With a thousand tongues to lift one cry Then from north to south and east to west We'd hear Christ be magnified Were the whole world echoing his eminence his name would burst from sea and sky, from rivers to the mountains. 
mountain tops, we'd hear Christ be magnified. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be finds its inmost melody and every human heart its native cry oh then in one enraptured hymn of praise we sing Christ be I'll stand strong and worship you and if it puts me in the fire I'll rejoice cause you're there too I won't be formed by feelings I hold fast to what is true and if the cross brings transformation I'll be crucified with you cause death is just the doorway into resurrection life and if I join you in your sufferings then I'll join you when you rise and when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints my heart will still be singing my song will be the same oh Christ be magnified let his praise arise Christ be magnified in me oh altar of my life, Christ be magnified in me, oh, Christ be magnified, let his praise arise, Christ be magnified in me, oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life, Christ be magnified pain is gone and mercy fills the street to look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for 
Last Sunday of each month, we join together in remembering what Jesus has done for us as we take the Lord's Supper together. Um, I want to say this before we uh, move into communion. Uh, I know we normally dismiss the boys and girls now, and we will do that, but uh, 
Uh, parents, if you have uh, children that have professed faith in Christ and know Christ as their Savior, I encourage you to keep them with you, that they would take communion with all of us together. And then they can be dismissed to go to Children's Church. Others, if they have not yet come to Christ, and by the way, this is for all of us because communion is a time for all believers. It's not a matter of a church membership or those type of things, but all who have come to know Christ. Uh, and so children uh, that have not yet professed Christ uh, are dismissed uh, to go to Children's Church, and the rest will join them later. So that's what we'll do at this time. When we come to the Lord's Supper, it's good to remember not only what Jesus has done for us, but what happened at the Last Supper in the upper room. Um, as many of us don't think about, because we're not Jewish, <laughs> We, we don't think about observing the Passover, which was, you know, initiated by God under Moses' leadership to remember what took place when God rescued the children of Israel from Egypt. And uh, the last of the plagues, of course, that came upon Egypt was the killing of the firstborn. And... Um, of course, God provided not only uh, for the release of the Israelites, but he provided in that plague their deliverance from what took place because they were to sacrifice a lamb without blemish and they were to take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost of the house. And then when the death angel came and took the firstborn of Egypt's families, he passed over the homes of the Israelites. So Jesus gathers his disciples together to celebrate the Passover. <laughs> they were gathering to have a meal that caused them to remember what God had done. And God had made a covenant with his people, not only to deliver them then, but to ultimately deliver them from sin through the Messiah he would send. And here the Messiah gathers with his disciples just before he is going to give himself as the perfect Lamb of God to be slain so that when his blood was shed and applied to all who would believe in him, death passes over us. So as we come today to take the bread and the cup is to remember what Jesus has done. It's to remember that that which was foretold in the Passover of the Old Testament was totally fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And the covenant of God is eternal. And all who trust in him are saved for eternity. Our sins are forgiven. <laughs> this is a time of celebration. Certainly it's a time of being very sober with what Jesus has done and know what it cost. But it's also a time to celebrate that what he did was complete and that we are the recipients of all of that. So I take us uh, today to the passage in Luke, and we read about Jesus and his disciples. He said he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it, then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. 
After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, Jesus, our Savior, Holy Spirit who dwells in us for all that has been done on our behalf. And so as we come here to the Lord's table to remember what you've done, Jesus, we give you thanks. And we pray that you would bless this bread and this cup today and that you would use it to remind us that our hearts would be totally thankful, but yet we also would be totally yielded in our thankfulness, that you would dwell in us in fullness and that you would be seen and that we would love you more and more. In your precious name, amen. Take the wafer. Remember, this represents the broken body of Jesus, broken for you. Take and eat and be thankful. And then take the cup. The cup that represents the blood, the precious blood of the perfect Lamb of God, shed for you to wash away your sins. Drink it and be thankful. Again, we thank you, Lord, for what you've done. We are eternally grateful. Work in us today, again, in a fresh way, for your glory, in your name. Amen. As we end this time, I just would encourage you, as Jocelyn plays uh, on the flute, a, a number written by a brother in Christ, uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, who always wrote his songs saying, this is to the glory of God and Jesus Christ. And uh, just a meditative piece here. We don't always pause like we should. Let's just be quiet. Let's just pause. Let's be thankful for what God has done.
Thank you. Be a good time to announce this now. Uh, Saturday at 2 o'clock at uh, Messiah University, Jocelyn's going to be doing a faculty recital on flute, and I know she'd love to have you come and attend. It's free. Yeah, that's good. 2 o'clock Saturday, uh, March 2nd, so you're very welcome to attend. Well, we're continuing on in our study of Second Peter, and uh, if you haven't already headed out, boys and girls, this is your time. Um, if you were in Brian's Sunday school class this morning, uh, excuse me, I, I keep dropping this pen at the beginning of things, I don't know. Uh, he did a great, well, he does a great job of teaching anyway, but he was talking about the incarnation. But one of the things that came out of that study this morning was talking about really false teachers in the early church and uh, the different types of false teaching that existed in that time, Ebionites, uh, Gnosticism, uh, a whole variety of things, a lot of different names that uh, sound strange to us. But um, uh, I'm not going to be talking about the early church false teachers today. Actually, I'm going to kind of bring it up to date a little bit. Uh, but I would encourage you, if you weren't here during that Sunday school, that we do have that uh, video feed. Uh, it'll be put up early, a little bit later this week. I think Tuesday it usually goes up. And uh, you can check that out, okay? Just go on and, uh, you know, listen in. Listen in as you're driving or whatever, and you'll get some good background on some of these things as well. But uh, Peter last week, as we looked at the first part of chapter 2 in Second Peter, uh, certainly was warning the people uh, against false teachers of the time, and, and he continues that as we, we uh, conclude chapter 2 today and uh, the danger of false teachers, and he gets stronger and stronger as he talks about it. But you know, uh, false teachers were not just a problem then. Jesus said there will always be false teachers until he returns. Uh, we need to be aware of that. One of the things I want to talk about today um, is how do we ourselves be prepared and ready so that we're not taken in by false teachers? Because historically, uh, many of the people that have been taken in by false teachers are those that initially were connected with the true church, okay? Uh, a lot of people that are in cults today were initially in the true church, but then somebody told him, well, you need to really get it this way, and they kind of pulled them in, all right? When I say true church, I mean the people that really are studying the Bible, the people that really are looking to Christ, but apparently that really wasn't who they are, and they got taken away. And that's what Peter's going to be addressing somewhat today. But I'm going to take us back, not real far uh, today, as I start, to a few situations that some of you might remember. Now, some of you aren't as old as me, so you won't remember them. But, but I'll give you a little history lesson, uh, actually going back to 1968, which I know is be before many of you. <laughs> yeah, you laugh. Okay. All right. Someday you won't laugh at that kind of thing. All right. Yeah. You know, life has a way of getting to all of us at some point. <laughs> but in 1968, a man named David Berg, who was uh, actually involved as a pastor in a church, okay, and he started out in Huntington Beach, California with a coffee house called Teens for Christ. Sounds pretty good, Okay. He developed from that, which was kind of popular at the time, a commune called the family. 
Now, back in that time, it was kind of like uh, the thing that, okay, if we kind of all get together and share life together, and, and sometimes it was Christians doing this, sometimes it was just kind of hippies doing it, okay? But you know, if you don't know what a hippie is, look it up in, uh, oh, you know, okay, right, whatever. You can Google it, I think, all right. <laughs> Gets funnier all the time, doesn't it? Yeah. Forget all I'm saying here, okay, let's just move on, right? <laughs> No, but, but communes were kind of a thing. Okay, oh, we're going to have peace in this world, and we're going to get along with each other. And, and in the church idea, of course, kind of going back to what appeared to take place in the early church in Acts 2, and people shared everything together, and it was the idea kind of doing that thing. He called it the family, but it later became known as the children of God. But his teaching really got weird, and he began to teach that the Lord's return was very near, so the things that all of the people that were following him should do would turn all of their possessions over to the leaders. I'm not going to announce that today, <laughs> in case you wondered, okay. And listen to this. He taught that God is love, sounds good so far, and that love is sex. So, in order to really know God's love, you, well, you know where to go from there. Okay. So, open sexual involvement was basically our way of increasing our knowledge of God. And so, his followers gave their young teen girls to him to be their wife, be his wife, his wives. Due to a lot of pressure, in 1971, he went into hiding but continued to write his followers regularly. Uh, he died in 1994. There is some form of the children of God still uh, going on today. You can, If you were to Google it, you'd see that there's some gathering in that, but it's, it's very strange. Okay, let me take you a little closer to this date, but still a ways back. But in the, uh, in the 70s, actually in 1977, a man by the name of Jim Jones, who was the pastor of the People's Temple in Indianapolis, had taken them to California, warning them of a nuclear holocaust. And then he, as he mixed social concerns with faith healing and an enthusiastic worship style, he led hundreds of his followers to live in a commune, a community in Guyana. In 1978, because of concerns of what was going on there, U.S. Congressman Leo Ryan visited the compound, and Ryan and his companions were murdered at the airport waiting to depart. Shortly after this, the People's Temple Group participated in a mass suicide by drinking poisoned Kool-Aid. 900 followers died. All right, let's move now a little closer to today. In the early 1990s, David Koresh had a lonely childhood due to family and academic challenges. He spent his time playing music and memorizing the Bible. By age 12, he had memorized and interpreted the entire New Testament. He had a quote-unquote salvation experience at a Southern Baptist church, but disagreed with their teachings and joined a Seventh-day Adventist church 
and eventually was expelled from that church after telling the pastor that God wanted him to take the pastor's 12-year-old daughter as his wife. He joined the Branch Davidians, an offshoot of that church, and married a 14-year-old. He had a vision when visiting Israel that he was the modern-day incarnation of the prophet Cyrus, who liberated the Jews from Babylon. He was said to have 20 wives and have fathered at least a dozen children with women other than his wife. Koresh claimed to have cracked the code of the seven seals in the book of Revelation and began to stockpile arms in preparation for the apocalypse. In 1993, the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, in response to the stockpiling of weapons, raided the headquarters of the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas. Branch Davidians and agents were killed in a gun battle, and that began a 51-day siege, which ended with 79 dying in a fire. These were religious leaders who studied and preached from the Bible and had people who followed them. But their teachings and lifestyle were far from what God desires and intends. I mentioned last week that Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 7 to beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. And Paul wrote, in, or Paul stated in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Serious warnings. Warnings that we need to take heed of even today. There were false teachers that Peter wrote of here in his second letter. And in last week's portion of chapter 2, Peter shared that false teachers are clever, they deny Jesus, they're shamefully immoral, they're greedy, they're deceivers and liars, they're proud and arrogant, and they despise authority. He also made it clear that they are currently under God's judgment and will face the full judgment at Christ's return. In this second section of chapter 2, he gives more information on these false teachers. So let's read that right now. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to begin at verse 12 and go through verse 22. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception, even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin, and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, 
who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. These people are as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty foolish boasting. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, and another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. It is not a compliment to say that someone is like an animal. As I thought about that, I thought about some of the craziness in the culture we live in today, where the teaching in most academic settings are saying we are like animals. <laughs> we, we come from animals. I mean, it's really strange. I don't want to be that. I want to be the fact that God made me and that he loves me, and that he has a purpose for me. I'm not just a thing that suddenly showed up. The Bible, Peter's teaching, is not giving a positive teaching about somebody being like an animal. Right? Some of you say, well, pastor, <laughs> you're strange. Well, I am, but I like what the Bible says, so let's go there, right? All right. I hope you're all with me in that. But these, Peter says, are like animals because they follow their instincts and do not think of the consequences of their actions. I have a dog. His name is Benny. Some of you might have met him. I bring him to church with me once in a while. He helps me study for my sermons on Thursday. Sometimes you can tell that Benny had more input than he should have, right? Okay. No, Benny's kind of an interesting guy. He's 13, uh, so he's getting old. He's having a hard time getting around. It's all white with a black eye. and uh, But, you know, Benny's a dog. He's a friend, and we've tried to domesticate him. But he's still a dog, and he does dog stuff. I won't tell you all that he does because it's really disgusting. I mean, the stuff he'll sniff and smell and even eat sometimes. Disgusting. Because he's a dog. I mean, I would really like to see Benny do better than he does. But he's not going to do it. You know why? He's a dog. He's just being a dog. Well, Peter says these false teachers are living like animals. They're just, they're not transformed. They're, they're just giving in to their, well, what they desire whatever they think they want. There's no kind of morality in their thinking. There's no boundaries to what they're doing. And they're doing it in the name 
of religion. They're doing it in the name of someone that people are following. They're really, the, the term here is they're brute beasts. And their lives, it says here, will end like an animal. They'll have some impact, but basically they just face destruction. They're heading for destruction, he says in verse 13. Even though they're acting like they can get away with things, Peter continues to say there's judgment here and there's judgment to come. But they're blatant in their sin. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They, they, they kind of enjoy the idea of sinfulness in public. You know, it's interesting, as people live a life based on their passions, there comes a place where the initial enjoyment or pleasure is not enough. and We find people doing really extremely immoral things in a growing way. And that's because we were never made to find our fulfillment in our own pleasure, in the things that we would distort that God would have given for other reasons. They certainly are a disgrace and stain in the Christian fellowship. It's interesting to note that many times the unbelieving world often sees false teaching for what it is sometimes before believers do. But we must be careful, for they're deceptive. And it says in this passage that as they eat with the fellowship, they try to appear to be a part of it, but they really are an offense by being there. In verse 14, he says that they're committing adultery with their eyes. They look at other people as objects for physical enjoyment. By the way, one of the great um, problems in our society is the pornographic area where people are looking at people as objects. And, And it does get a hold, particularly of men, but it gets a hold of people. You know, you get that in your head, and uh, it just begins to influence everything you do and the way you look at things. And, and by the way, guys, I'm particularly speaking to guys here because I think it's the major area, but uh, you need help if that's where you're at, and um, you need to get out of that. And uh, what you need is really the accountability and care of other Christian men to help you. And I know that's helpful because I've seen it so many times as men help men come out of that situation. But these, they're blatant about it. They're not wanting to change. This is their lifestyle. They're even encouraging it. And they hunger for sin and follow their hunger like an animal. They lure unstable people and are well-trained in greed. That's, that's kind of an illustration that we need to look at clearly, too, for these who are false teachers. It really is about them. It's not about Jesus. It's not about humility. It's not about serving. It's about getting. And that's a great area to be aware of as you really analyze someone who is a teacher to make sure they really are following the Lord. They take advantage of others to satisfy their own desires. But, you know, there's encouragement, and it's a negative encouragement in some ways, 
but it's encouraging to know that even those who seem to be doing all kinds of things against God and seem to be getting away with it really aren't. God is the judge. He will bring about his judgment. They're under God's curse. Then in verse 15, he says that they've gotten off the right road. I think about uh, these three I mentioned in our illustration to start. David Berg and and, uh, Jim Jones and David Koresh. You know, they all started within the church the organized church. They, they even were recognized in some ways as leaders, but they weren't tied to the truth. They, they, they went off on their own. They got off the right road. And the illustration that, that Peter uses here is they followed the footsteps of Balaam. Now, you can look that up and read it later, but it's in Numbers 22 to 24, the story of Balaam. Um, he was a person who really was a... Um, a diviner, what I mean by that, people who, you know, would read signs and, and give kind of like, a, sort of like a, a mystic giving you your future, <laughs> okay? If you went to somebody and said, okay, I want to know my future, and I don't think he probably used a, one of those glass balls, but anyway, he was one of those guys, all right? And um, he performed rituals to uh, change future events, kind of mystical stuff. So the king of Moab sought to hire Balaam to place a curse upon Israel because he feared being destroyed by them. And uh, when you read the story, it's obvious that Balaam, even though he appeared to have these gifts uh, or uh, stuff doing on with giving curses and things of that nature, it really was all about the money. All right? And uh, as Peter says here, that he loved to earn money by doing wrong. In Jewish tradition, Balaam is a picture of self-seeking and greed. And we read of him in Revelation 2, 14, which associates him with idolatry and sexual immorality. God came to Balaam and spoke to him about what he should do. But he continued to try to go forward to make money in this situation. And in the midst of him going forward, there was an angel of the Lord that got in the way. And he didn't see it because he was so determined to do his own thing. But you know who saw it? His donkey. And the donkey was resisting going forward. As a matter of fact, the donkey tried to go around the angel and it, it pushed Balaam into the wall. I mean, it was all kind of craziness. And then finally, the donkey speaks. I think it's rather interesting in light of what Peter's teaching here. Because remember, Peter started this section by saying, these false teachers are animals. They're, they're, they're even worse than animals. Because at least with the donkey, God could get the donkey to say what he wanted him to say. And the donkey spoke and said, hey, what are you doing? Don't you see these angels here trying to get you to turn around and do what God's calling you to do? Now, That's my own version of what he said. You can look it up, all right? (laughs) God used a donkey to speak with a human voice to stop him. Interesting to note, isn't it? The animals obey God when the unthinking animal false teachers do not. 
don't want to be compared like that. We don't want to follow people like that. And in verse 17, Peter says that they're useless, that, that their impact for eternity is zero. They are like dried up springs or mist blown away by the wind. There's no value in what they say, nothing that will last. They themselves are doomed to blackest darkness. And he continues on with more and more about it. I mean, it's just unbelievable how he continues to talk about these in such negative ways because he's so concerned that they're going to draw people away from that which is true. He says in verse 18 that they're braggarts. They're boasting about themselves. They're luring others into twisted sexual activities. Kind of interesting when I shared those three stories about those uh, false teachers of more of our day that sexual immorality was a big part of it all. And it seems like that is the big deal in most of the time that really brings things down. Um, what brings things down in our culture all around us? It's basically the world around us becoming a part of that which is being taught. And, and I really think that we are so, so pulled by our sexual desires, that in a perverted way, there is an openness among people sometimes to try to justify, to follow their desires by putting that as a part of your religion. <laughs> it's happened in lots of situations. I mean, from the pagan side, there were what? Temple prostitutes. Okay? But here in these false teachers, what do they say? Oh, well, God has said if there's really going to be true love from God, this is what you got to do these different. Well, you know, wow, it's really off the track. But we all have to admit that there are passions within us that need to be stilled. And we could easily be taken off track by allowing those passions to pull us rather than letting God be in control. In verse 19, he says that they're slaves of corruption. They, they're slaves of sin and corruption. They, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to sin. They're controlled by it. They, they knew the way of the Lord. They, they, they uh, knew the true freedom that would lead them from wickedness. But we see here that Peter says that they rejected it. They are like the ones that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 13, like seed falling on soils that don't really receive it and never produce fruit. As you read that, you might say, wow, it almost sounds like uh, they really did come to know Christ. But that's not what Peter is saying. He's saying here, it says, when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than before. And then later he says that it would be better if they have never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. And they prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit and another says a washed pig returns to the mud. A dog or a pig are not the terms that are used of somebody that truly comes to faith. Sheep, yeah. <laughs> right? And we're all like sheep, right? 
but our shepherd has brought us back. This is not a, a word here where you need to be afraid that if you've accepted Christ that you're going to get lost. Okay, that's, that's what I'm pointing out. All right. This is a word of warning to those who would be getting close you know, knowing about the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing what He has done, and even seeing what He has done in other people is not the same as you knowing Him yourself. We, we talked about this when we were in Hebrews chapter 6, when that passage there seems to be one that's been used about people maybe losing their salvation, when in reality the issue is one of people never really coming to true salvation. There's a difference between here, and that moving down to here. You can know a lot of things, but have you ever come to the place where your faith is not just a knowledge, but your faith is one of volitionally saying, Lord Jesus, I know who you are, and I ask you to take over in my life. Yeah. And when that's happened, there's going to be a change, right? It's gradual. We don't all suddenly become perfect saints, and we're still not there yet. Someday we will when we're with the Lord. But we're in the process, and, and, and he's writing to believers and saying, listen, be careful. Don't let these people in with your situation because they're going to lead people astray who are on their way but not quite there. I already told you about my dog, all the crazy stuff is done. I mean, the passage says that dogs return to their vomit. Wow, that's quite a picture, isn't it? Yeah. He's saying basically that these people are like that. that they, they, they knew the right way, but they went right back to that which is ugh. That They said that the ugh is good, but the ugh is bad. And, but that's really theological, right? Wow. Yeah, I mean, the bad is bad. I mean, we know that, but it's interesting how people get swayed to go back to something that is really destructive when they really haven't come to really find that which we could deliver them. You know, Jesus talked about that. He said that someone that was uh, washed or, I mean, delivered from demons, if they really didn't continue to follow the one that delivered them, then more demons would come back and take over. That's kind of what Peter is saying here. You know, if you have come close to really knowing the Lord but haven't really stepped in there, look out because you're really open to further destruction. And that's a warning to anyone that might be here this morning and say, well, I just, I just kind of like leaning in, you know. I, I, like, the, I like the fellowship with, with Christians because they're nice people, and, and I like kind of seeing what Jesus has done, but, but that's kind of nice, and I go my own way during the week. Wait a minute. You're in a bad spot. You're in a bad spot, and you're headed to something that's really destructive now and certainly forever. You need Jesus. That's the problem here. These teachers have not stayed with Jesus. They've gone on their own. They're out there somewhere else. Did Jesus' followers fail? Do they mess up? You bet they do. Look at the apostles. Look at us. 
but we're still Jesus followers. And our hearts have been changed. And we don't want to stay where we have been. We want to move on to where we can be. And that's the difference. Dear friends, if you know Christ, be encouraged. Keep growing in Him. But dear friends, if you don't know Christ, watch out. Because you're in a bad place. It's not going to get better unless you accept Him. Peter wants the real believers here to realize how ugly it all is to not be tempted in any way by that which they hear. He also gives us insight in today's passage of who are deceived. And I think this is important for us to think about as we close out today. He mentions that these are unstable people in verse 14. He says they are people who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception in verse 18. And they are people who return to sinful living in verses 20 to 22. As I mentioned, these are those who in reality have never really come to saving faith. Their faith is not on the rock of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Doug Moo in the uh, NIV application commentary says this, Only a solid grounding in God's truth and a genuine love for him will be able to protect people. Only those who have not taken the time to become solidly grounded will fall prey to false teaching. To fall prey, to follow the lure of false teachers is to look away from Jesus for our satisfaction and fulfillment. It is to seek pleasure in sin. The false teachers appeal to the base nature. They deceive. They appeal to the desire for pleasure, wanting to experience the forbidden fruit. Proverbs 14, 12, though, says that there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only way to life. As he said, no one comes to the Father except through him. True life is found in following him. So how do we avoid any kind of impact or influence by false teachers. Three things. One, make sure your faith is truly a saving faith in Jesus Christ alone. When your urges and desires try to lure you away, stay connected with Jesus. Read the Bible, pray, fellowship with other Christians, and share your faith with others. Live on a higher plane. Resist the devil, we're told, and he will flee from And as Peter says here in chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Know the Word of God. And then he says, remember our supplement sermon? <laughs> all right, I have my supplements here. Nobody bought any by me, by the way. So I still have them, but all right. But you have them here in the Word, okay? But make every effort to respond to God's promises. Know the Word of God and supplement your faith with moral excellence, 
knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. By the way, I have been trying to remember that list. I'd encourage you to do so. I've been trying to review it regularly. Okay, what are those seven things that I need to supplement my faith with? All right? Okay, so just do it. Just try to remember it. Okay, I have it, you know, in my head. And sometimes I get it mixed up. doesn't matter about the list, but I get it right. Moral excellence. Well, that's such a key here as we think about these false teachers who are far from any moral excellence. They're the other direction. Proper knowledge. Self-control, patient endurance, hang in there, godliness, seeking what God wants, and brotherly affection, loving others in the way that God loves us, and ultimately love in every way, unconditionally. And then finally, in chapter 1, verse 10, Peter writes, work hard to prove that you really are called and chosen. Don't give up. Don't give in. Pursue Jesus. As you seek him, you will find him, and seek him with all your heart. At the end of chapter 1, just before he gets into this section on false teachers, remember, Peter stressed that we are to trust the testimony of the apostles and the prophets concerning Jesus. Being in the Word of God and the Word of God being in us is so essential for us to stay away from that which is false. When I was uh, in college, I took a part-time job at a bank as a teller. Right? You ever worked at a bank? Banks are places where you have a lot of prestige but very little pay. <laughs> you handle a lot of money, but you don't take much of it home. <laughs> but I remember one of the first things that they had me do was just count one. All right, this is back when $1 bill really mounted to something, all right, but count ones. Man, I, I remember dreaming at night when I go home, I was counting ones all night long, okay. But they wanted me to be handling the money all the time. Why? Because the more I saw what was real, then I would be able to see what was not real. You hear anybody that deals with counterfeits, counterfeit money in particular? They study the real thing. And then they'll know what's not real. So what are we to do? We're not to get all tied up into trying to figure out who's a false teacher, but stay in the Word. Know what's true. Be in God's fellowship. Get involved. Get in a Bible study. I mean, why do we encourage these things? So people will keep growing in the Lord. It's not so that we can say on our annual report, oh, we have this many people doing that. Nah. It's about each one. It's about each one. Knowing and growing in the Lord. That's what we're all about here. Amen? And I'm glad to see you all are a part of it. And God's blessing. And we're seeing more and more people come to grow in the Lord together. We need each other. Don't be drawn away. Don't allow others to be drawn away. God, if God brings new people that really don't know the Lord, we need to be there. We need to give them the truth. We need to help them. Because there's plenty out there devil himself particularly, who wants to destroy. But Jesus brings victory. In him we have life. Let's pray. We thank you, our Father, for these warnings. And we pray as Jesus told us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. Lord, we acknowledge how much we need you and how weak we are in our own strength. But thank you for giving us the rock of Jesus to build our lives upon. And even if the storms come, we know that the promise is that we will be able to stand firm in him. We know that our protection and security is in you alone. Help us to be aware of that which is not of you and flee those things that run to you and run to you instead. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, Father, that convicts us, convinces us of what is wrong, what is right. I pray for those here today, if there's anyone here that has not yet really come to Christ, there's knowledge, there's awareness, but not really knowing you personally, Jesus. I pray that right now they will yield their hearts and lives to you. Give us ears to hear, hearts to obey, minds set on you and your word. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Pastor Glenn. As we reflect on uh, that final reminder of seeking truth in God's word, I'd like to invite you to stand for our final song. When the root of our discernment is in that truth of God's word, uh, we know it won't fail. And I'm reminded of one of my favorite Charles Spurgeon quotes, that discernment is less about knowing the difference between right and wrong and more about knowing the difference between right and almost right, because uh, that's where things often will go astray. So um, this song is an older song. It's about 25 years old, and a lot of you will know it. Uh, And I think this is an example of some of the words were almost right. So if this is a song you know really well, you probably will notice that we did change a few of the words um, because it's a great song otherwise. So um, let's sing together.
Jesus, we acknowledge that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We realize how frail we are and how soon we seem to forget how much we need you as we live day to day. So, Lord, before we leave here today, again, we want to say we are yours. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming to change us and to transform us from that who we already are and all that we could become to be your children, to be a part of the family of God, to be changed and to continue to being changed. May we be your testimony to others, an ambassador in your name this week, wherever we are. In your precious name, amen. Hey, before you go, uh, last Sunday I mentioned about... Uh, C.S. Lewis Institute, if anybody's interested in seeing how that works, this coming Saturday at 8.30, they're meeting here. I think I had said March 4th before, but it's actually March 2nd. That's this Saturday. So uh, join me. I welcome you in here at 8.30, about 8.30 to 11 or so, and you can see what goes on. And don't forget, Jocelyn's concert, 2 o'clock on Saturday. Hey, have a great week. God bless you.